Greetings program, hello and welcome to Tronologically Speaking, a movie-by-minute podcast talking about Disney's 1982 movie, Tron. This is Minute 16. I'm your host, Duncan Shields, and with me today is my legendary, heroic, masterful, and interesting guest co-host, Jack Stovold, current host of Jack's silly little friendly neighborhood Star Trek Discovery podcast and co-host of the ApeCast, a Planet of the Apes podcast. Welcome, Jack. I am re rezzing as we speak, or just rezzing in. I don't know. I'm just appearing. In, you're appearing. You're rezzing. In the podcast world. The podcast grid. Uh, why don't you uh, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, Jack? How's it, how's it going? That's going good. Um, I am Jack Stovold. Pleased to meet y'all. I have been podcasting for a while. You can, you probably can't tell by my stunted and halted speech patterns, but it takes me a while to get rolling. But um, I have for the last four years, I've been doing a Deep Space Nine podcast, Star Trek. Oh, nice! Yeah, we just dropped our final episode about the finale. We're going to be doing some bonus stuff for that, but the main body of that has ended. But if you want to hear our and hours of Deep Space Nine talk with the three goofballs. Check that out. It's Reopening the Wormhole. Deep Space Nine podcast. Reopeningthewormhole.com. Beautiful. That's a pretty epic task because that was, what was that, uh, eight seasons? Seven seasons, 173 Seven. episodes. So it's just a little shy of the next generation as the longest Trek show. Okay, cool. Uh, for speaking of uh, speaking of Tron, do you remember the the first time you saw Tron? I I actually don't. I just this is just kind of a movie. I don't know. It was probably in elementary school the first time I saw it. Probably sure third fourth grade maybe. I think it was just trip to the video store. It was just something. It's probably my dad, like, oh, it's Tron. You're probably like this, you little nerd. Yeah. <laughs> Computers? Okay, I'll rent it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, did, I really clearly, I don't clearly remember the first time I saw it, but I've seen it many times. I love the movie. Um, it, Upon first viewing, it really appealed to me, just visually. It's actually... Like now I can kind of follow the story, but as a kid, it was like really confusing. I could not tell who anybody was. Yeah. Um, like when they're in the program, you know, they're all in black and white. You can't see their hair. It's, it's kind of hard visually to like distinguish who is who. Yeah, sure. Yeah. They all end up looking very similar. Yeah. And they're all like, or especially Tron is Alan who you see very little of in the real world. So it's like, I didn't even really make the connection that he, I didn't know who any, like I knew Jeff Bridges and David Warner. And it's like, I couldn't really figure out who anyone else was, but yeah. Now, now had someone on. Yeah. We had someone on earlier who had a a similar thing who like, Oh, it was as an adult watching it, realizing, Oh, Oh, yeah. hey, Bruce Broxleitner plays both of those roles. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
oh that makes sense because he's his program sure sure right. yeah yeah but like as a kid they didn't register that at, no. like at all it's like now i get that like oh all the the programs are the same people as their users the actors are the same that just yeah. like went way over my head <laughs> well yeah you cut you put a helmet on and you take off the glasses and you change to black and white like yeah yeah they're, that could very easily go over a bunch of. I wonder how common that was. I bet you that was pretty common. Well, I'm, I'm just. I'm sure you've talked about it, but I'm. I'm just curious. Like, when did you get into the movie? Oh, I saw it uh, when it came out in the summer of 1982. Okay. Um, at my local theater. I grew up in a small town, so it was a little tiny cinema that I saw it in. Okay. And uh, I think my dad took me, and I just, I just loved it. I just went bananas for it. Yeah, I would have. One of my. I would have loved movies for a long time. Nice. So, um, yeah, I actually had been thinking of getting into the movies by minutes game, and I kept thinking, like, I can't believe nobody's doing Tron. I kept thinking about Tron. I, that's <laughs> that happened to me. Yeah, like I looked down the list. I went to moviesbyminute.com and they've got like the hundred and forty yep. movies, and I I went down the list and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, Buckaroo Banzai, yeah, okay, oh, okay, Flash Gordon, yep, yep, yep. But mm -hmm. I got to the end of the list and I was like, oh, I must have missed Tron. Tron has to be there. Yeah, like how was like, how oh, is it not what? there? Yeah. So I I dove right in. I was like, well, okay, if I'm going to do one of these, then that's going to be the first one that I'm going to do for sure. So, uh, it's would, been great so far. I would have loved to have seen it in theaters, but um, unfortunately, I did not yet exist at the time. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a ways back now. Yeah. I think it's a testament to it that it still holds up so well visually, uh, given yeah. that it was done such a long time ago. Yeah. So, yeah, Tron is just about a year older than I am. Well, there you go. There you go. All right. And, uh, so we're gonna go over. I feel it. Hmm? In my soul, you feel it. We're, we're feel me, it me and Tron are we're we're soulmates. You're soulmates. Yeah. I, I, All right. Do you want to go over? Uh, you want to go over minute sixteen? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> All right. So in this minute, the uh, orange is successfully deconstructed, and Doctor Walter Gibbs and Doctor Laura Baines look at each other appreciatively. And Alan Bradley applauds them before coming down and talking about his recent discussion with Dillinger upstairs. So is he? Uh, is he not Dumont yeah. in the real world? That's a... no. In the real world, he's he's Doctor Walter Gibbs, okay. and in the computer world, he's Dumont, which is which is interesting because he has a name that sounds like a plausible surname in the real world. Yeah, that is. Whereas everybody everybody else is like. Rez and Tron and Ram and yeah. and uh, you know Yori and he's like Dumont. Like, yeah, that's why I assumed it's his name. Because I'm the program Macadam. You know, like it, it doesn't make and he's a lot of sense. He's the guy who like created this whole computer system. Basically, he right? co-found. Yeah, he he in uh, in in a, in one of the coming minutes they talk about how he's started this program started this company in his garage so he's kind of yeah. like a like a bill a bill gates kind of figure where or he steve or those yeah those uh yeah yeah more appropriately a steve wozniak like the, the the those guys in silicon valley doing startups in their garages who end up becoming giant corporations it's probably five or six of them were happening at that particular mm -hmm. time and so this was sort of a, a riff on that and they were all post 
70s hippies that had gotten into the tech industry and that's kind of what dr walter gibbs i think is supposed to represent with his cozy sweaters and his wild wild gray hair kind of thing proto silicon valley yeah proto it's a bit yeah it's a bit it predates it by a bit that's um you know now watching as an adult that's pretty interesting like how like at the time i think like general movie audiences like probably didn't know a lot about computers and stuff like this and it's it's pretty interesting how this is basically just a story about like corporate well not corporate espionage but just like a programmer stealing another guy's ideas yeah and you know games and stuff it it seems like usually these kind of things come after that's right right the general public kind of no uptake about yeah it almost hit before everybody would have enjoyed it like that's the sort of thing where yeah you you expect this movie to come out after the big rage about computers uh but this was like almost came out before it and then yeah with the corporate espionage like in minute 13 we were talking about what's the unluckiest thing that could happen in this minute right now and one of the unluckiest things we thought of was uh what if Flynn finds the file that he's looking for at the very begin of the beginning of the movie? Because then he would never go into the mainframe, and the whole movie would just be a courtroom drama about him <laughs> trying to wrest the rights away from Encom. As like it'd be like an under, uh, underdog courtroom drama instead of a instead of a visual yeah. feast, which could be an interesting movie, but it'd be a very different movie. <laughs> very different movie. So, uh, yeah, Dr. Walter Gibbs and Dr. Laura Baines like that the orange has successfully de-rezzed in this world, and they give a, a great little look to each other as their colleagues enjoying a win. Mm-hmm. And I love that she's not, like, hanging off of him or anything. Like, they both have the mild enthusiasm for, like, test test number 872. Yeah. Like, no one's uh, screaming, Eureka! Or Yahoo! Or, or whatever, even though what we've witnessed is astounding amazing astounding like astounding that's, like yeah that's also it, 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 the uh the thing i like that that's a very movie thing where alan comes in and you know he's they're literally describing something that is like just incredibly like yeah. revolutionary and he's just Re- like completely revolutionary immediately like dryly quipping like oh could it take me to hawaii it's like come on man this is like the most amazing thing that humanity has ever achieved no big deal we just invented the transporter you know stars like well that's nice and all but i just had a weird conversation i'm like well dude yeah my (laughs) boss is being really mean to me yeah what a dick i mean that also i wonder like that's another thing like i wonder if uh if this movie technically takes place in like an alternate an alternate earth or an alternate version of uh of this because i'm like inventing transporters in 1982 and having like ai running around inside computers is like eh, it's a bit a bit more than what was going on at the time but yeah but yeah this is basically a star trek transporter and i yeah i guess it's a few minutes after this where jeff bridges gets sucked into the machine but it's the same thing like yeah. you know the old quandary like yeah jeff bridges just died at this moment essentially and was 
copy yeah. and there's a new Jeff Bridges. Yeah. And then he gets reassembled. It's like you're but that's still you're the third you're Jeff Bridges the third yes, now. Exactly. You know? Like O'Brien too. That's a shout out for Deep Space Nine fans. Yeah. <laughs> shout out. The uh, O'Brien after season three is actually a different O'Brien than the first two seasons. That's right. And you know, there's no uh there's no evil Jeff Bridges running around down in the basement there or something like that. Well, not until yeah oh yeah that's right yeah not until tron legacy yeah okay well we see we see that the computer screen with the orange we see a shot of the computer screen with the orange again only this time it's being reassembled from the ground up and the text on either side of the screen has changed now it reads down the left it reads mag 10 times mcp control servo center grid matrix read data memory call S-T-R-G-E hold. Storage hold. Running. Storage hold. That's probably what that means. Yeah, I was like, strange hold? Yeah, I did, and then I on did, the, I did down write the, all these down, just in case. Okay, cool. And then write is uh, mode run program orange, which I think is pretty funny. And then Rom, it says ROM Yori. Key Yori. Key Yori. And then prime. And that, so, and Yori is, uh, is the program that dr laura baines wrote okay any so that's cool that any insight in, that's her her touches like what is yori i mean it's her it's it's her program's name inside the okay. grid oh uh, is that her character or the movie like in the in the grid yeah okay in the grid yeah so that's her deal. She's a, that's her her program in there. So she written she wrote a lot of it. Like she's the deputy. That's why I'm kind. Of, I always kind of insist on calling her Doctor Laura Baines because in the in the screenplay and the movie in the IMDb credits, she's just given the credit of uh, Laura. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, she she went to like fifteen years of like she's she's the deputy controller of the project. Like she's second to Doctor Walter Gibbs. And I'm like. Her name's Doctor Laura Baines. Her name's not just Laura, yeah. right? Like, yeah. But you only you only find that out in the novel. No, oh, the novel. Oh, it's man. pretty incredible what she's accomplished. <laughs> yeah, the novelization. Yeah, so that's like we can see that Yori's deeply involved from the from the ROM and the key there. And I don't see it's tell I don't see any uh, Gibbs words anywhere in there. I don't see Dumont in any of that uh, right. any of that data. So I don't think. And but I also find it very interesting that we don't actually see the orange get uh, reconstituted. Yeah, I was like, or re-resed. Where, where does it go? And it's it's insinuated that it like in the in the novel it, you see it get you know beamed back on a on a plinth on a dais as part of the experiment. But in the movie we just see the digital readout of it getting uh, reconstituted, but we don't actually see it. And I and I think that might have. That might have been a very conscious choice because having the orange be literally transported was very Star Trek, and I think it might have thrown the audience into thinking about transportation rather than just the digitization part. Right. Yeah. And I can't like I can't imagine it. I, I I don't think it would have been a huge expense to show the orange coming back, but it might have been an expense thing. But I think it was probably just like a narrative choice. Yeah. Like let's especially. I don't know what month this came out, but it's 1982, right? So, yeah, it came it was... out in uh, uh, July, I think July. Okay, so like Rathacon is right around there. 
the six yeah, it was six weeks uh, there was a little little six weeks of different that that six weeks had wrath of khan poltergeist tron et uh conan the barbarian the road warrior oh man and then uh the dark crystal that was all within six weeks what right amazing... and blade runner and blade runner yeah it's ridiculous it's ridiculous it was just like it's a, like like we it's like a Fifty percent of my favorite movies came out in like this yeah, two it, month period in nineteen eighty two. It it uh, it defied a generation. Like it really <laughs> did. There's no uh, there's no coming back from a summer like that. I am who I am because of that summer. Yeah. In in uh, probably sixty to seventy percent of me is all very influenced by everything that came out. Yeah. We're just programs. <laughs> yeah, we're just programs, man. Yeah. That's all we are. The movies are the users. Yeah, yeah. They wrote it. They wrote us. They wrote us. The pro the the that's very meta actually. The programs that made the movies ended up programming. Wait, are you us. saying are you saying there's users who wrote the movies? Oh my gosh. It's what? Just, it's just turtles all the way up. I, yeah, it's turtles all the way up. I also uh, I like that when the orange comes back there's just like a light audio hiss. Yeah, like there's no there's no huge orchestra sting or or anything like that when a successful experiment concludes. It's almost a little anticlimactic. There's no like da da or something. Well, it wouldn't be an orchestra sting. It'd be a synthesizer sting, a Wendy yeah, Wendy Carlos a, synthesizer sting, a Wendy Carlos uh, yeah, Wendy Carlos sting or a big what do you call it like a giant complicated chord that re- resolves yeah. at that point or something. Just shout out to Wendy Carlos too. I love this oh. soundtrack. Um, it's so good. Yeah, it like this. We'll talk. We'll talk. Uh, there's a little a little bit later in uh, in minute eighteen. There's uh, the we hear the first journey song, and that's that became a real bone of contention. But yeah, yeah Wendy Carlos is incredible because before this, she'd done the soundtrack for The Shining and The Clockwork mm-hmm. Orange, and won some Grammys for her Switched On Bach. Yeah, I have the whole Switched On Bach set and. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's it's all on my phone. It just comes on and shuffle a lot when I'm putting it on. Tron soundtrack goes through my head a lot. That's on there too. Just, I love it. I love the Tron soundtrack. Yeah, I have. It's so discordant that like da 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 da. You know, it's very very discordant, but then it resolves well. Yeah, Sonic Seasons. Even I have that. So yeah. She's, or she's you know she, she did uh she did uh what do you call it uh uh an album with weird al yeah i heard that i'm interested i haven't heard that but i want to you, you can find it online i think the library of congress has it down as a free download or something like that that's it's peter and the wolf but it's done uh it's done on synthesizers with commentary from from weird al it's quite a strange project <laughs> But I'm glad I'm glad they crossed paths and collaborated. I'm yes. like, yes, yes, oh please. man, outstanding. <laughs> Why not? Just love it. Best timeline. Uh, so, uh, Doctor Walter Gibbs gives Doctor Laura Baines a paternalistic hug that she only half-heartedly returns, which is pretty <laughs> cool, I think, and uh, and says, "Perfect." And as we hear, and then we hear Alan applaud from up on top of the uh, up on top of the steps. He gives some half-hearted applause. Like what he saw was not just the most incredible thing that's yeah. ever happened in human history, but like, like, yeah, this is oh cool, golf clap worthy. 
Yeah, yeah, you taught the dog a trick. Well done. Yeah, yeah he really does come off as kind of an asshole. There's a couple of, yeah, this whole, this minute and the next one, he's kind of like, you're a bit of a jerk. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I like you very much. Yeah. I like your program. It's weird, that, it's weird that he's, your program's a little bit uh, better than you are. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Like, yeah. And then behind, but behind Alan, uh, behind Alan Bradley at the ninth second, we see, we see the sign that was shot in close up earlier at second 44 at minute 15. And we can see just how huge it is. When it was in close-up, it was freestanding against a room of pipes, but here it's hung against the wall. So maybe they've got a few of those signs, or maybe they moved it for that shot, but, um, boy, it's huge. What is the and, sign? Uh, Alan, what, there's a huge sign. Um, you can see it in the earlier minute. It's got, like, five lights down one side that are red, and then five lights down the other side that are green. And oh, like okay. laser. La Laser attenuator off, shutter closed, and then one by one they all flip over to green, as uh, as the things. And it's like this was shot in an actual laser facility. This isn't all just built for the movie. They just shot this inside an actual uh, linear laser accelerator facility really? down in Livermore, California. Yeah, they're the only film that was ever allowed in there, and everything that's in there is like available light. They didn't. They didn't. Uh, they hardly lit it at all. They just turned on the cameras and uh, got some actors in there. Yeah, so that's awesome. All that, all the, all the background stuff in there, all the laser guts, and the laser itself is like an actual laser. The it's called Shiva, which I think is pretty cool. That is. But the effect, I, I mean, the effects and stuff are all effects, but the the practical stuff is real, real laser guts and a real a real laser lab. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I, you know, I didn't really have time to do any research i don't really know anything i don't know that much about the background of the movie i just enjoy the movie oh that's okay that's I mean, what i'm here for that, that, <laughs> like that's your job good. but um yeah but uh also i'm not gonna lie i'm not you know i would have loved to have been on for some minutes when they're actually in the computer world oh it can come back i mean uh, you know all the all the minutes aren't accounted for right at the moment like oh, well. i've got some i've got like the, the next 10 or 15 that are uh accounted for and then after that it's still open ground so well oh all right if you're willing i'd love to come back but yeah uh, yeah i'd love to have you come back for the actual uh on the grid stuff but so, that, Alan, that being said i'm just i just wanted yeah. to say like this is a really cool set and i didn't realize it wasn't a set it's an actual facility yeah, that's what makes it so good. You're like, wow, they really went the extra mile getting the detail for this amazing set. And you're like, oh, they actually filmed it inside. Yeah. I don't know I don't know who had the inside track because the list of what these this lab was working on, it's like national security level stuff. It's like so disposing the safe disposal of nuclear waste from highly classified places wow. as well as focusing all these lasers in a way to try to create fusion with temperatures greater than the sun and gravities bigger than the core of Jupiter. Like this wow. really, really intense. And that was in 82, right? They're still going. If you look up the Lawrence Livermore lab, they still have a webpage with lots of stuff about what they're doing. And it just reads like straight Star Trek. It's just like wild stuff. So they're actually doing the things that MCP was trying to get his hands on. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I would not be surprised if they had actually transported 
maybe not an orange, but like, uh, you know, something. A molecule. If they're on that track. Yeah. That's, I had no idea. That's, that's very interesting to know. Yeah, it's super cool. All right, so uh, Alan asks if they're having fun disintegrating things down there, and Dr. Walter Gibbs says, Not disintegrating, Alan, digitizing. <laughs> A laser dismantles the molecular structure of the object, and uh, molecules remain suspended in the laser beam. Then when the computer plays out the model, like the molecules fall back into place, and voila. And I'm 100% sure that Barnard Hughes forgot his line or struggled to remember the stream of gibberish at that. Uh, he, get, he gets a pretty big uh, about halfway through the line because like, like the rest of the cast, they often say that they had, they had no, no idea what the heck they were talking about. Yeah. And they just memorized the words and went for it and tried to seem convincing. This is uh, the trial by fire that all Star Trek actors have to... <laughs> Yeah, like, reconfigure the photon torpedoes through life support in the main yeah. deflector dish, and reverse reverse the polarity like you need to exactly. to rattle it off like it's uh, um, like you know what you're talking yeah, about. Run it through the main pattern buffer. There you go, main pattern buffer. That's a classic. Yeah, yeah. Rewrap power from the inertial dampers. <laughs> There's another one. That's another classic. Yeah, yeah. And the starboard nacelle. Yes. Think about the, always something about the it's never the port nacelle. It's always the starboard nacelle. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now, digitization. I want to talk a little bit about digitization. That's the uh, the converting of information into a digital format and organizing it into units of data called bits that can be separately addressed in multiple bit groups called bytes that our computers can process. It's good for text, movies, pictures, music, and in this movie, literal objects. And I wonder, so that orange was sort of turned into like ASCII characters in a in a way, but uh, but I'm I'm not 100% sure what the following means. But audio and video digitization uses one of many analog to digital conversion processes in which a continuously variable analog signal is changed without altering its essential content into a multi-level digital signal. The process of sampling measures the amplitude of an analog waveform at evenly spaced time markers and represents the samples as numerical values for input as digital markers. So I assume that what's happening here is the orange is having its DNA sequenced and markered to get uh, sucked sucked into the computer, into the pattern, the, the transporter buffer, if you will, uh, before getting right. reconstituted on a different like, platform. You know, like, theoretically, that makes sense like you know theoretically I, theoretically but that's just every molecule of this orange that's just like um an inconceivably vast amount of data just huge yeah huge like, like a billion times more than an mp3 you know yeah like billions and billions here, here times more uh yeah, so we talk a little bit, but according to the, there's an article in The Guardian in March 2007, if all spoken language since the dawn of time were digitized, it would consume five exabytes of storage space. And the total, total digital information in 2006 was estimated at 161 billion exabytes. And email made up six exabytes of that figure. Now an exabyte is two to the 60th power of bytes. 
um, which is that's like all binary information is in the power of two, which is why we got eight bit sounds or sixteen bit games or the Commodore sixty four or the Nintendo sixty four. Everything has to be a power of two. So an exabyte is one quintillion, a hundred and fifty two quadrillion, nine hundred and twenty one trillion, five hundred and four billion, six hundred and six million, eight hundred and forty six thousand and nine hundred and seventy six bytes. So exa means a billion billion in decimals, which is 10 to the 18th power, or a billion gigs, a million terabytes, a thousand petabytes. So that's like 50,000 years worth of DVD quality video. But where it gets interesting is that a, gra a, a, gram, a gram of DNA mm -hmm. could theoretically hold 455 exabytes. Yeah. So if the orange weighed five ounces or 142 grams, that's 64,610 exabytes <laughs> in that one orange. And that's just in 142 grams. So what if, you know, now, I, I'm going to do them out. How much does Flynn weigh, basically? I would say 200. <laughs> I would say 200 pounds. I would say he's probably about 200 pounds. So I, I don't know what the math would be on. I'll have to it's figure just, out the math for that when he gets. Inconceivable. Inconceivable. You keep you keep saying that word. In this case, I do know what it means. In this case, yes. As you digitize something, but when you digitize something, you can copy it and share it. Yeah. So that's the that's the thing that they didn't really touch on in this movie is. Uh, well, in Pirate Bay, I did try and download Flynn, just the person. Yeah. But the file yeah, the file just, was too large. There weren't enough shares. <laughs> that's right. 1% progress. It's been three days. What are you talking about? This is going to take forever. The 3D printer. It'd be... Ch <laughs> it's like a, a little womb on your desk. A little artificial womb where you got to make a... Like a human-sized womb. I just want my own Jeff Bridges. I want... <laughs> I want my own dude. I want my own dude. Uh, so Dr. Uh, Dr. Laura Baines lets her hair down, takes off her hard hat and safety goggles, shakes it all out, mm. and uh, Bruce Broxleitner pretends to do a good job of understanding what the heck Barnard Hughes is saying, because that's a huge paragraph of techno text. And yeah. then, like you said, Bruce Bruce quips, great, can it send me to Hawaii? <laughs> Which um, Like, that's the, the most amazing thing you can think of with this technology. <laughs> that's what, yeah. <laughs> Right. I want to go your... on a vacation. How quickly, how quickly it, uh, it changed. Like, what was it? Somebody said, when technology is invented, the first two questions that people ask are, can I use it to hurt somebody? Can I have sex with it? Yeah. <laughs> right? Holodeck. It's like, that's holodeck, right? It's a holodeck right there. You know, that's what I kind of liked about, uh, the Orville recently because mm. they 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 had that's, some porn that, addiction. Yeah, there. The Orville right. was like, okay, this is what we all know the holodeck would actually be. This like. is what, yeah, you we all know what's going on <laughs> yeah. here. Like, what that would be use number one. I would because mm -hmm. they had that episode of STNG where Barclay's sort of using it to have yeah. the female members of the crew be subservient to him, but it's yeah. not like they're it's like not purely sexual. But. It, at, within the restrictions at the time, they're like. You know what we're actually talking about, right? Yeah, this wink. Yeah. You know what's going on in here. Yeah. You know, or uh, what's it? Uh, number one in minuet. Like, there's some uh, 
they definitely boned. Yep. Yeah, definitely. It's a bunch of those, bunch of those. But that was that was cool. Like that that that's like use yeah use number one. Yeah. You'd think if there was a holodeck, you'd have to yeah. hose down the holes. Yep. Uh, ho- sorry, hose down hose down the walls. Mm. Every day, delete the wife. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> delete the wife. Right. <laughs> uh, and then yeah, Doctor Laura Baines responds with yeah, but you got to purchase your program thirty days in advance, which is. I guess I don't know, kind of a strange response. I suppose that's like a, a travel agent zinger. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of and funny, then, uh, I guess. It's kind of funny. I'm like, it's like, oh well. Which well, kind of fits like, into like, her? Like I'm, I'm making a kind of funny quip to your not really funny rejoinder. <laughs> it's almost a burn. It's like a sub, almost a subtweet yeah, like, in uh, in vocal form, right, like that. Wasn't like, yeah, very but funny. You're... Here's my unfunny response to your unfunny <laughs> like... joke. Yeah, just just a, a slight undertone of really. That's that's what you're saying yeah. to what you yeah. just witnessed. Yeah. Did, <laughs> did you see what we're doing here? Oh, okay. L O L, Alan, you're the best. Lol. And then she asks how it's going upstairs, and Alan says that it's frustrating. And he does his best Clark Kent taking off his glasses <laughs> motion, you know, like broad, like uh, Brad from the Rocky Horror. He's just like, huh, takes it off because now he's then he gesture he just does a lot of gesturing with his glasses, and it's a uh, good programmer angst, I guess. Yeah. Fort- and he mentions that. What's that? I was just gonna say Clark Kent can't do that because if he ever took the glasses off. He- yeah, he They're can't. Like, oh, oh, sorry. Wait, that's wait, a, oh, you're Superman. <laughs> that's an excellent point. If he ever took his glasses off in anger to make a point, that the the jig would be up. <laughs> yes, exactly. That would be it. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what I, I like that bit in uh, Mystery Man, where they're like going over it, and Shovel Man is like, "How many times do I have to go through this?" Amazing Man doesn't wear glasses. The attorney, the, the uh, what is it? The Attorney General does. <laughs> Amazing Man wouldn't be able to see, you know, like he just. <laughs> it was such a good movie. Yeah, I'm glad someone said there, there's a minute too, that's, of that podcast too, or there's a yeah, yeah, so, okay, Mystery Minute. I think this was called. It should yeah, be. somebody's doing Mystery. Minute. They might be finished now. I think they're finished now. But I'm glad that somebody was uh, took that one on because that's classic. I'm surprised that one. That's a movie that was ahead of its time. Yes, definitely. It's like the lampooning of the superhero genre came out before the superhero genre got before really the huge. Movies started, yeah, yeah. Uh, what do we got here? So yeah, Alan mentions that Dillinger has cut everyone with Group Seven access out of the systems, which makes Doctor Walter Gibbs turn around like, "What?" He gets a real good a good take on that one, and uh, <laughs> and then. Alan says that ever since Dillinger got the MCP, we get some more fantastic Alan Bradley humor here. Uh, he says, the system's got more bugs than a bait store. Yes. Hey-o. He's mm. a funny guy. Nice work, Alan. Nice work. Get a get a man with a sense of humor, is what they, uh, is what they told this, Dr. Laura Bates. This guy has wager dollars to donuts he's never gone fishing in his entire life <laughs> yeah 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 it'd be great if he's like you know this system's got more bugs than a dog kennel it's like well 
you have you ever you been know, to a yeah like fleas you ever, those you, bugs you ever been outdoors yeah you, you ever been outdoors alan you ever uh, <laughs> go to the woods that's true probably not done a lot of camping i imagine <laughs> uh and then dr dr walter gibbs says that they've got to expect some static because after all computers are just machines they can't think which sort of goes against what we're shown, but it's in keeping with the theme of the movie and uh, users being able to do godly things beyond their programming. It's a good, the minute ends at a very nice cutoff. Yeah, it's nice when that happens. Yeah. One of the characters just finishes a line and you're like, and we're clear. Good. Because it's, yes. it's, it's awkward when it's halfway through. You're like, well, do I leave this for the next minute or talk about it now? In um, Star, Star Wars minute, like says, yeah. Well, we'll have to wait till tomorrow to find out how the sentence ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one I still haven't listened to. I know they're the ones that started it all, but I haven't, uh, I haven't listened to the oh, Star really? Wars one yet. Oh, yeah. So you're, you're, most people start with that one. I've done uh, Fifth Element, Flash Gordon, um, some of Buckaroo Barnsai, some of Ferris Bueller's. I'm halfway through Caddyshack, which is so funny, and. Well, uh, Oh, well, then you've heard me before if you listen to Flash Gordon Minute, because I was on oh, that one. Outstanding, wonderful. Yeah, that was great, because I'm a huge fan of Flash Gordon. Yeah, that's a great and, movie. And uh, I loved, I loved, uh, oh, well, good work on that one, man. Good work. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was a lot of fun listening to that one. Yeah. You know, I got so much love for the, uh, for the, sh for the movie itself, and you guys did a really good job. Well, no, I'm not a host. I was just a guest on it. Yeah, yeah you were a guest. Yeah, well, yeah. it was fun. It was a lot. Of, it was a lot of good times. The uh, the novel and the differences. I like to go over a little bit about the differences between the screenplay and the novel. Yeah, like I was only vaguely until you mentioned it. I was like, oh yeah, I heard that there was a strong novel. I for, completely forgot. Of course. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, it's almost not every movie had one, but they did, and I think a lot of them do still but it's not exactly a lucrative endeavor, I imagine. It sort of helps the production get an extra $20 out of, the, out of it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm familiar with on, on the Ape cast. Um, we've read a lot of Planet of the Apes movie novelizations, so I'm, I'm familiar with the form. Did they, uh, did they do novelizations for all the films? Uh, the original four sequels yeah not for the not for the first film because the first film was actually based on a novel yeah 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 but the other four and then there was also a live action show in the 70s and a t uh, cartoon show and those also have novelizations oh wow wild so i've read i've read a lot of weird planet of the apes novelizations man working writers just some working writers getting the job done with yeah. that stuff. Yeah, they're 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 fun. So I'm 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 very curious about the Tron novel. So it's uh it's pretty good. The the what do you call it? The dialogue who, is pretty much word for word, but it gives you a it? lot of. Who's the author? Uh, the author is what do we got here? Brian Daly. Oh, Brian Daly, the guy who wrote the uh, the original Han Solo trilogy. Oh, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I read those. I'm glad he... so. Yeah, I got a bunch of Star Wars novels uh, recently, and I went through uh, some of the, the Thrawn 
the Thrawn oh, ones. God. Yeah, Timothy Thon. Those are great. Yeah, the Timothy Thon ones. Those are really good. And uh, it was fun going through going through those. Yeah, Brian Daly so, though he's one of the the first guys to write extended universe Star Wars stuff. So well, right on. I wonder if this came before that, or if that was in the midst. If this was a job um, he took in the midst. That I think um, this probably comes after because I think those fur. I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure the first. That first Han Solo trilogy came out between Star Wars and Empire. So oh, okay. Wrote, wrote those before we even saw Empire. Yeah, Tron. It was released on Del Rey. Yeah, published published Brian by Daly's, Del Rey. The Han Solo trilogy is also Del Rey. Also Del Rey. All right, on. Hey, that's good. I like it when you find an author and then. Or you read something like this, and you're like, "Oh, he did like really important stuff in yeah. other areas." And you're like, "Oh, good, right on, right on." I'm glad it wasn't just this and nothing else. You know, that's good. Yeah. But in the the novel has Doctor Laura Gaines kissing Alan briefly and blushing, and then oh. shaking shaking loose waves of soft hair, and uh, that's not really Classic. in the movie. Which I'm thankful for. Yeah, she doesn't she doesn't do the librarian transformation. <laughs> And then uh, Gibbs, and then Dr. Walter Gibbs has a nice thought. He says to himself, let the boardroom infighters and administrative bean counters think what they like. There's not a one among them who will ever feel the way that I do right now. He's really, really, uh, really happy with how the experiment turned out, which is, which is cool to have in the novel because, you know, they don't really lose their minds with celebration in the movie. It's all in here. Yep, it's all up there. And then in the screenplay, uh, they have the digitization target coming back from being reconfigured. It's a transparent sphere of plastic, not an orange. And then, uh, <laughs> and then Alan says another another zinger. He says, "Boy, I sit up there grinding away all day, and you guys are down here disintegrating things and having fun." So, good for you, Alan. That's too bad. Yeah. It's all different shed a tear for poor Alan. Poor Alan, yeah. Different people have different jobs. It's he does kind of have a point, though. Disintegrating yeah. stuff would be pretty wild. I mean, that that is cool. I Honestly, I'd probably be saying the same thing if I came down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think like, so, yeah. too. If I was cool coding, uh, coding in the dark for 18 hours a day, and then I come down, and they're like taken apart oranges with lasers i'd be like okay i might have made the wrong choice yeah exactly so i don't not understand how he feels yeah he's he is relatable he's not completely out of uh out of the realm of readability well i guess that takes us to about the end of minute 16 do you uh tell it where can where can tell us jack where can people find you if they want to hear more of you all right yeah i mentioned um reopening the wormhole that's largely finished we are going to be answering we're going to be doing a retrospective of the series as a whole and answering some emails but our episode by episode coverage has ended but uh, we're keeping it open so go check that out reopening the wormhole.com awesome and uh, I also mentioned planet of the apes I'm an apesman I am an ape. As a human being, I am a, a species of ape. 
Yeah. And yeah, we already live on the Planet of the Apes, so we thought, why not podcast about it? So me and my friend Jeff are doing a podcast about Planet of the Apes, the movies, the show, the cartoons, and uh, comics. And every month we do a bonus episode about just other movies or shows that feature apes. So that is oh nice like like uh like feature actors from the apes movies or just feature apes in some other regard just some movies that have apes in them so we've done nice we've done all the king kong movies and sure we've done like congo congo yeah yeah uh we even did being john malkovich just because there's a chimp in it and that was just our excuse to talk about being john malkovich (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And Mighty yes. Joe Young? Did you do Mighty Joe Young yet? Uh, it's on the docket. We are going yeah, to do that. But yeah. So yeah. That that's... has a that has a nice that has a really good death in it. There's a really sweet death in that movie. Yeah, I love a good death. So yeah. A comeuppance. Um, a comeuppance yeah. for the for the villain. A good comeuppance. Nice. Oh uh, yeah. So uh, that's the the apecast at libson dot com. Check that nice. out. Nice. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can check out more at tronologicallyspeaking.com. Drop us a line on Twitter at tronologicallyspeaking. Send us an email at tronologicallyspeaking at gmail.com. Or join us on Facebook at the Tronologically Speaking Tron Minute by Minute Listeners page. Uh, shout out to Pond5 for the music. And also, as always, very special thanks to the Star Wars Minute that started it all. Go on over to moviesbyminute.com and see if your favorite movie is there. And if it isn't, consider doing one yourself it's a very inclusive and encouraging community and i highly recommend the experience to everybody do you want to do a little uh, end of line on three yes okay. I, I, That's... I assumed this was your sign off so that's the sign off yeah for sure <laughs> and it's fun to try to get a, a unison thing going all right all right yeah so. sure one two three end, end of, of line, line. Thank you very much.